and a pleasant good evening, Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. It's episode 93 here on PGE. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon coming at you as we continue to approach the century mark here on Pleasant Good Evening. Thank you guys for listening. I've got my cat in the background who I'm sure will make himself heard uh, at some point if he already hasn't. But um, lots to talk about this week. Some fun stuff. Mostly fun stuff. The Mets just took three or four from the Rockies and get set for an off day before they take on really the last very good team uh, that they see before the very end of the season. The Dodgers come to town this weekend for three. The Mets miss their two best starters. We'll see how that goes. The Dodgers are very, very good at baseball. Before we talk about all that stuff, let's pivot back to the things that just happened. Mets, Rockies, Mets took the first three of four in that series uh, and then fell in the finale earlier today, today being Sunday when we're recording, by a score of just one to nothing. And even though they got shut out in the finale, Jack, overall, pretty fun series. Lots of positives to take away. Yeah, a lot of positives. Um, They clearly needed the day off. I think just through the beginning of that Yankees series, it was very apparent that uh, they were kind of flat. I mean, they were going on like what 27 games in 26 days. I don't remember the, the, the number off the top of my head, but it was something ridiculous. Um, and maybe even after today, they also need a day off. Hopefully that's not the case. Like hopefully they're not getting that winded at this point in the season. Um, just because there's still a month to go, uh, always kind of sucks when like you lose the last game of a series, even if you take three or four, um, but, you know, credit to Herman Marquez, I guess. Uh, and three of four is still that's 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 pretty much taking care of handling your business uh, against the Rockies. And I mean, Thursday and Friday, the wins in particular. I mean, we'll talk a lot about Saturday's festivities, but Friday was an amazing finish. Um, we were treated to a very amazing finish. Like I'm I'm definitely still in the state that I've been in the last couple of weeks now where I'm just kind of enjoying it and like hoping that the Braves lose some more games and, and lose ground, but like they kind of won't. Uh, so I'm just enjoying the Mets are winning, you know, just vibing. Yeah, just vibing. I mean, the Braves did uh, lose on Saturday, which was nice. Um, they got finally. walked off. Finally. Oh, my God. Um, they're just getting underway now as we're starting recording. So, I, I mean, we won't know if it's still a three-game lead on Monday morning or if it's a two-game lead, but um, hopefully the Cardinals can take care of business and win that series and give the Mets just like a smidge of, of, of cushion heading into that Dodger series and make it so that the Mets can't fall out of first place if they get swept by the Dodgers. It would be cool if they didn't get swept by the Dodgers, just period. Um, that series does worry me. Um, we can talk about that as we continue to get going here. But uh, the Rocky series, I think, is indicative of like this idea that good teams beat the bad teams. Uh, and for the most part, that's what the Mets did this, this series. They could have easily with the Sunday loss and the way things were looking on Friday night could have easily had a split here. Um, and the two wins were the two wins outside of the Friday win outside of the walk-off were a three, one win and a three, nothing win. So like, those are not exceptionally high margins of victory. Um, those mixed with the walk-off it's not like they were bashing the colorado skulls in 
Um, but still, I think they still outplayed him for the most part. The Rockies looked, I think, a little bit better than I thought they would, but they also couldn't really hit. So I don't know where to go yeah. with that. They pitched okay. Yeah, the, I mean, Marquez, like I said, was really good. I can understand why, you know, other teams are interested in Daniel Bard like they are. Like, he's he's a very, very good closer. Um, who Even with the way the Mets beat him on Friday, like, you know, he, he got beat on a ground ball. He didn't get blasted. Um, I mean, I think for the most part, good teams will beat the bad teams. Then again, like, the Yankees are about to lose, like, two or three to the A's. Um, like, sometimes you just don't have your best stuff. You want to win a World Series, like you kind of always have to be on top of it. Um, but I mean, you know, when you really look at everything, it's this is probably the last series where I'm really like, all right, this is a really, really good team, and I'm worried about how this implicates us in the standings. Uh, I don't know. I the, that Brave series at the end of the year honestly really does kind of freak me out because it gives me this just the way that these teams have been really neck and neck all season or not all season, but since June when like, you know, you no longer talk small samples and when the season really starts, did you read like the Tim Britton? I guess it's everyone had this stat up, but I'm just reading Tim Britton's tweets. The first one I saw um, that since the all-star break, the Mets are 10 and 0 on days when Atlanta loses and Atlanta had been on 11 and 0 on days that the Mets had lost. Um, like, that's just kind of an, an ongoing thing. Um, I feel it was nice that Saturday we actually got a game, although if the Braves lose, it gets raced right away. And it would, it would be canon if the Braves erase that, that margin immediately. Like I think that last series of the season might be what decides kind of the most important, I think really the most important thing left on the table. I mean, really this Dodger series can be a preview if the Mets get, you know, really rocked in this series. And I don't think they will just because they have DeGrom going, they have Bassett going. It's going to be a, a real fight between these two teams. But, um, you know, whoever doesn't win the division, not only will they have to have a play-in round with the wild card, which, you know, God knows what that's really going to be like. It's the first time anyone's doing something like that. Um, whoever wins that round, if the Mets were to come out of that round victorious, they would have to play the Dodgers in the divisional series. If they win the division, however... They would have a they would have a buy into um, the divisional series, and they would play um, most likely because the Dodgers will remain the one seed. They would play uh, the winner of that three six, um, and that's sort of, at least to me, that's infinitely easier than having to not only scrap your way out of a series, but then move on to to play the Dodgers at the end of it. I mean, that's doing it the hard way. Um, Mets have won a World Series doing it the hard way before, obviously, but like I, I don't want to do it the hard way. Do you? No, I, I. If we can avoid having to face the Dodgers in the playoffs until the NLCS, I would appreciate that. Um, if we could avoid it, period, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, like if someone could bounce the Dodgers in the NLDS, that would be sick, actually. Um. Like there's you a scenario narrative would, would just be that the Mets got lucky at that point. It would just continue, but I don't anyway. care. Flags fly. Forever. I don't care about, yeah. Flags fly forever. Exactly. People just, would have still celebrated, you know, obviously the Mets lost in 2006, but like, if you flip that and say, imagine a scenario in which the Mets swept that 83 win Cardinals team who beat them in seven games or one in five games. And then they would have ramshackled the Tigers. Like do we think anyone would have cared? 
Like, I don't think anyone would have cared if they got past an 83 win team in the NLCS. I don't think anyone would have cared. I think, I mean, like non-Mets fans would have said something, but I don't think that Mets fans would have cared. And I think we still would have celebrated that 06 team um, with as high regard as any other, any of the other championship caliber teams or championship winning teams um, like in team history. So I don't care. Like the Dodgers can win 112 games and get bounced in the first round. And if the Mets come out on top with a ring and not have to face the Dodgers in the playoffs, I, I couldn't care less. Uh, And I honestly, that's the preferred method because if it makes it easier for the Mets to win a championship, of course, I'm going to root for that method, but that's dependent upon first the Mets winning their own division and getting that second seed and being able to avoid uh, that play in round because the top two seeds get that buy, And that is a very, very valuable thing. Um, obviously the Dodgers are going to have the first one. And then that second one, if things stay on track through these final 30 plus games, uh, the way they're heading, the Mets and the Braves will be fighting for that second spot. Whoever wins that division crown in the NL East is going to win that division because, or is going to win that second seed because the Cardinals are like six or seven games behind the Braves. Um, and that's going to be tough to make up uh, to get to that second seed, especially if both the Mets and Braves, especially the Mets, keep playing their best uh, brand of baseball and continue to win a lot of baseball games. Yeah. The Mets are over. The Mets are already at 82 wins. They've already clinched a winning season. Um, their first winning season since 20. No, no, they had a winning season for last year. 2019 was a winning season. 2019 yeah. was a winning season. I knew they had one since 2016, but. Yeah. I don't know. Mind that was, mind flub. Brain fart. That was a crazy last two months of the year now. I, I won't bring us back to that timeline entirely. But it would be what would it be like their fourth? It would literally be their fourth winning season uh since 2009. Uh yeah. 2015, 2016, 2019, and now 2022. Like they're hard to come by. You'll take it however you get it. It doesn't matter how lucky they're getting or, you know, how unlucky. Like, if this team wins 97 games, I mean, that's another thing to your point about 2006. Like, I don't think you can really say, like, oh, well, they never to play a hard team. Like, because in 2006, they were kind of better than every other team. And that's why it was so ridiculous that they lost to the Cardinals at all. Um, this is another case where, like, I mean, aside from the Dodgers uh, and potentially the Astros, I think the Astros are a postseason threat in a way that the Mets probably may not be, but like the Mets is the second best record in baseball right now. I mean, there's no one else that's really doing what the Mets are doing except for the Dodgers who are basically, I mean, the Mets are the A tier right now and the Dodgers are the only S tier. Like they're 50 over or something. It's a ridiculous, it's yeah. a ridiculous benchmark that they've set. Um, they play ridiculous baseball. Um, they pitch well, they hit well, everyone contributes every single day. It's incredible. The Dodgers, as of their win on Sunday, today, they're 88 and 38. They are 50 games over 500. And they have a cakewalk in their division. They lead the NL West by 19 and a half games over the Padres. So they can just keep doing their thing and coast. They're six games up on the Mets for that first seat, which, you know, technically the Mets could make up three of those games this week. Probably won't. Because the Dodgers are good at baseball. <laughs> Listen, all the, I mean, we've constantly done the 2015 comp thing. Like, we did this with the Brave series. But can you just imagine if, like, this series with the Dodgers ends up being 
the equivalent to like the Labor Day series against the Nats in 2015, where like you have this real defining series coming up and you don't necessarily know if you're going to be competing with postseason teams, if you're really that good, or if you're just kind of going to be fighting for a division title, that sort of thing. The Mets sweep the Dodgers. They're absolutely in the conversation for a pennant. Uh, they fully established themselves at this point in the season. Now, you know, in our sixth month as just, uh, you know, the next team to beat after the Dodgers, like it could be another sort of stepping stone in what's been just a ridiculously exciting season. I, I like, I, I don't know if it's going to happen just because the Dodgers are so damn good. And like the nationals were clearly just a disaster uh, by that point in the 2015 season. But I don't like, I don't think we would ever have been talking about this team being 35 games over 500 in September, in March. You know what I mean? Like they've already kind of shocked us so many times. Uh, there are also, you know, there, there's also kind of like writing on the wall as far as the Dodgers being a better team. Like I think the Dodgers probably by and large have a better pitching staff than the Mets do. I don't know what their plan is with this bullpen. Uh, I didn't know what their plan was with the bullpen at the deadline. Like, I'm not going to do this thing where we go back to the deadline every time a, a reliever has a bad game, but really like, does Michael Givens even get an inning in the postseason If it continues this way, like, Oh, he better having, start pitching better. Yeah. He really needs to get better. Um, it's not enough that like Seth Lugo is sort of, you know, coming around and becoming the third best guy. Like this was this, that was evidently part of the plan anyway, if you only got one reliever, like the one reliever you got just should not have a 958 ERA um, a yeah, month you, into a month into the deal. Like you're not also, you're also not going to be able to pick guys off second base every outing. Like he was saved today. Right. He gave up, he gave up a double. He picked him off, yeah. picked off Randall Gritchick from second. And then immediately gave up a base hit up the middle that would have scored the run had he not picked up, pick up, uh, picked off the guy. Like yeah. he's throwing like eighty something percent fastballs too. Like he just doesn't have an out pitch. He has looked very, very bad, and it has made the deadline look worse. As have I think recent struggles of the offensive bats that they've picked up. No one's really doing yeah. anything. Like that's the thing that this series. No one really did anything. Like well, Mark, yeah. well, let me clarify that. Like Mark Canna cooled off a bit Sunday, but like still was hitting the tar out of the baseball, getting extra base hits. He had the two huge hits on Friday, the double off yeah. the fence, and then the game tying two run double in the eighth inning. But outside of him, Nimmo had a good day on Saturday with the home run and the double. Uh and then it's like, I, Beatty hit a home run, but like two singles otherwise, other than that, like who's doing big things right now? Lindor's mired in like an 0 for 19. Yeah. Alonzo had the walk-off hit, but, oh, he also had the home run. I mean, like every like this series was like guys having individual good games, but right. not much outside of that. You know, like Alonzo had the home, had the big performance in game one. Canna had the big yeah. performance in game two. Nimmo had the big performance in game three, but outside of that, people aren't really doing anything. Nobody had any, like they had two hits in the finale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I would chalk it up to like, because here's the thing. They, the Mets have won games 
on the back of individual performances before this point in the season. Like we've had a lot of games where like Starling Marte was just on a tear and like he did what he usually does in the first inning and then maybe padded it a little bit later. Like and Lindor has been like that too. And I mean, even Escobar has had a game where he basically led them like right when he hit for the cycle right now, I'm worried. I'm not worried about Lindor because he's probably one of the better just bats in baseball this year anyway. And he's going to be fine. Like nothing suggests that he's going to be terrible in September. Um, and I'm not worried about Alonzo. I am a little bit worried about Starling Marte right now. And I'm a little bit, I'm actually very worried about Daniel Vogelback um, because Vogelback is very likely playing injured. He oh, he's just really clearly win. not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. His hamstrings are a problem. Uh, if you really, really, really need him for this Dodger series to DH and you take him out in the, after the fifth inning or something to pinch run, fine. After the series, he needs to rest. You need to put him on the IL and you need to get someone back who can actually, who can actually swing. Um, as far as who that might be, I don't really know. Hopefully by that point, it's Tyler Naquin. Like, yeah, Naquin. And- that's the other thing is that Naquin's done nothing for weeks now and Darren Ruff yeah. has barely played. Yeah, Ruff was a very, like, it makes the trade look so much worse that Darren Ruff almost plays less than J.D. Davis ever played. Um, Yeah, he's a strict, they're using him as a strict platoon partner to Vogelback. And that means he's only batting against left-handed pitching, which means if they're not facing that many lefties, then he's not batting. They faced the one in the series against the Rockies, and he hit a ball pretty well against, a couple of balls pretty well against Kyle Freeland, but they both were flyouts. I mean, the ball wasn't traveling, period. I was at the ballpark on Saturday. I was at two of the games in the series. I, I haven't mentioned that yet, that I was there uh, on uh, Thursday when DeGrom pitched, and then I was there Saturday for Old Timers Day. And on Saturday, the ball just wasn't carrying, like, at all. The Mets had so many balls that off the bat looked like they had a chance to leave the ballpark. And with the exception of Nimmo's home run, which – was a tank shot. Everything else was caught on the warning track. And Ruff had one or two of those. Alonzo had one of those. Lindor had one of those. Like everyone was kind of getting into baseballs and just wasn't going anywhere. So um, for whatever reason that is, um, that contributed to the dearth of offense, I think, in this series that the they hit – the three home runs in this series and all of them were missiles. Um, Sunday also today, McNeil almost hit one out. Oh, McNeil Uh, had like two today. Yeah. Oh my, Nito had one that I thought had a chance to leave on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that this is no different, a stretch from like prior swoons, you know, like there's always been like, two or three people who at the same time, and it's a different order of people, you know, every time it happens, but they just don't really have it going. But like the other two or three do. Um, I'm, I think that they have enough like actual firepower in their lineup to produce against the Dodgers, even if their pitching is really good. Like McNeil is white hot. Canna is white hot. Um, Nimmo is, is, he's drawing more walks now. Um, like I said before, though, it's 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 sort of at this point, you have to sort of treat this like a marathon more than a sprint. And when you look at someone like Starling Marte, especially who just isn't really running hard anymore, it might behoove them to give him a couple more days off. I mean, literally, they did this with Canna last week and the results this week show you exactly 
what happens when you just let a guy rest a little bit. Like ever since they started sitting him, I'd say it was at the beginning to like the middle of last week before the Philadelphia series, he's been tearing the cover off of the ball. Um, they give him this reduced role and he sort of responds to it because um, he's a good player. He's a veteran and Marte is no different. Marte has come back a couple times from injury and been really, really good. Um, I think that, again, I understand this, this Dodger series is sort of a, a big deal and he might be better even at, you know, two thirds power than Darren Ruff right now, but like you should, you should be looking out for them. Um, that's, that's sort of my stance on it. Uh Pitching staff is what the pitching staff is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really have a whole lot on that front. Like, the starters are very good. Um, Chris Bassett continues to just be very good. Jacob DeGrom hopefully can start going deeper into games. Like, I, my thought process with them taking him out earlier in the Rockies game than people wanted is that they really don't want the guy exhausted for this Dodgers series, but – it's also probably the best team he's going to be facing uh, to this point. And yeah, he's going to need to, he's just going to need to, I think, buckle down with that. Yeah. Would have been interesting to see, I think, because he, he carried a perfect game into the fifth inning. Yeah. One out in the fifth. I think. Yeah. He, he went four and a third. And if he had continued to have that, I would have been intrigued to see how much longer Buck would have let him go in that game. Um, I think one thing back to the points about Ruff and Vogelback, uh, the probables for this series against the Dodgers might actually work in the Mets' favor in that regard in terms of getting Ruff more playing time and resting Vogelback because the Mets are slated to see Andrew Heaney in game one. I believe. Tyler Anderson in game two MLB at bat currently has these as like to be determined still on the Dodgers side, but they were talking about this on the Mets broadcast today. And I believe it's Heaney game one, uh, Tyler Anderson game two. And then depending on if he's ready or not, Clayton Kershaw might be back to pitch game three. Um, If not, it would be Dustin May who's right-handed, but there's a chance that if Kershaw goes game three, the Mets are seeing three lefties in a row, Um, which would mean we're getting some Darren Ruff action in this series um, and it would give Vogelback more of a chance to rest that hamstring. The off day Monday helps that too. Like this, this could work out in the Mets favor in that regard. Maybe get Darren Ruff swinging the bat a little bit better uh, and getting Daniel Vogelback off his feet. I'm sure he'll be ready to pinch hit against Phil Bickford or whatever, you know, things of that nature in the. And Del Monte. Just yeah. some random, you know, some rando that they've unlocked the potential in. Um, I mean, Andrew Heaney, you mentioned him. Like, this is not last year's Andrew Heaney. I don't think people who listen to us know the full extent of, like, what the Dodgers have done to him. But he kind of never gives up home runs ever now. And that was, like, the only thing that was really ever stopping him when he was an Angel and a Yankee. Uh, I'm very scared for that. I mean, I'm always scared when they face lefties. But, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, the um, while the Mets are facing the Dodgers, the Braves will be facing the Rockies at home, who we just faced. So uh, they better win some of these games. Yeah. I mean, if the Braves win tonight, it's back to two games, correct? Right now it's two and a half because the Mets lost. That probably, yeah. I mean, 
Mets haven't gotten swept to, you know, to this point, I think in any series that was more than two games, um, a really bad time to get swept now. Uh, it would also, I think, yeah, I, I just I don't know. I feel like every week now we say like this, this series is going to be huge. Like I'm tired of being given these tough battles in the schedule, but you know, God is, is, is doing this because we're his, uh, you know, his, his, his strongest fans, I guess. I don't know what else it could be. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. I know we all play the same teams, but. Yeah. You know. And so the good news for the Mets though, is that after they're done with the Dodgers, then they get a string of really bad teams in a row. Specifically, the next two series after LA is the Nationals and then the Pirates. Oh um, yes. So yeah. there's a there's a chance here that like even if the Mets lose ground to the Braves, um, they could very quickly make it up in short order by winning games against bad teams again. So like that could be good. Also. We could be getting Carlos Carrasco back this weekend against the Nationals. Um, We have good pitchers set in this series against the Dodgers. Like, Taiwan Walker, he had a pretty good start at home against the Dodgers last year. Um, He, like, dueled Walker Bueller. And he, like, was – he was, like – I don't know if you remember this one. He was giving up bullets, but he also, like, had a no-hitter going into the fifth inning. I thought that was the Giants that he had the no-hitter going against – but I might well, be wrong. He definitely had a start against the the Dodgers because I was at it, and yeah, it was yeah. It, it just I, the Mets wound up losing the game late, but he pitched pretty well in that game. Um, yeah. So like Taiwan's going game one, and then it's uh, Degrom and Bassett in games two and three against the Dodgers. So. Chris Bassett's biggest woes this year have come against NL West teams. Hopefully that's not the case again, but uh, like you expect the Mets starting pitching and the fact that they'll have a rested bullpen after the off day to at least give them a chance to win these games. And if the offense can put up a few runs, maybe you win a game four to one with DeGrom on the mound. Maybe you win a game six to two, if you can get some offensive output, when we come back to talk to you guys a week from today, I think we'll be singing like perfectly good tunes, given that the Mets will be, you know, finishing up a series against the Nationals next time we record. But, you know, check in with us on Friday morning and we'll let you know how we're feeling, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like this could go very poorly. It can go surprisingly well or it can go expected and they could lose two out of three, but compete really well and, um, you know, find themselves tied in the division by Friday morning. Yeah. Walker is someone, by the way, who I'm also a little bit, I think, worried about. Probably the only pitcher who I'm really like, he might be hurt. Um, I just, I, I don't know if you noticed this during the Yankee game, but he had a couple, obviously he was good the first three innings. Um, but once we got to the fourth, he like manipulates his body a lot in between pitches. And normally I'd be like, all right, pitchers just are weird. They do their thing. But you know, SNY usually is a very good eye for like when a guy might have actually like done something um, after a pitch. And he really is like, especially with the lower body stuff, he really doesn't look comfortable. And the results are not the results that you would get out of a comfortable pitcher. Um, So that I think I'm not really expecting a whole lot in the way of Walker on Tuesday, but 
yeah, DeGrom and Bassett, I think, will be fine. Um, and hopefully by then you get Carrasco back. You'll probably have a couple people coming off the, off the injured list in due time. Um, as far as who goes, it will probably be apparent by then who's, who's really going to go. Um, yeah, if Carrasco can't go, then you can just go back to David Peterson because apparently he's good again. He pitched very well against the Rockies. And I, I would trust David Peterson, you know, to have the baseball in his hands against the Nationals. In the Nationals, yeah, absolutely. Dodgers, I'm not so sure after the Mookie Betts thing in June. But um, no, they're going to have a lot of questions that, they're, that they'll need to answer, assuming the people who are injured now come back on schedule. Um, I think Carrasco most likely gets the spot in the rotation that belongs to Peterson. But with the way Peterson's been playing, uh, I mean, really, and especially the way Joely Rodriguez has been pitching as their only lefty out of the bullpen, like, you probably should consider um, using this time to audition Peterson out of the pen. I mean, you should be considering auditioning potentially a couple starters right now. Um, I think Peterson deserves that chance. I think Trevor Williams, if he continues at this pace and Michael Gibbons continues at his pace, I think honestly Williams should get his spot on like a playoff roster if we really get to that point. Um, but you'll also have to answer for what happens to, uh, to people when Drew Smith comes back and when potentially Tyler McGill comes back because um, they're both throwing bullpens now. Uh, McGill's going to be starting his rehab the week after Labor Day weekend. Um, and that's going to be something to monitor. I don't know how ready he's really going to be because it's all been going very slowly, but Smith is hoping to come back at least. And uh, I mean, compared to Givens, compared to even like Tommy Hunter, you're going to have opportunities to figure out who stays and who goes. You might not even really have to consider like who the September call-ups are going to be really. Like, I think those are pretty short-term villains, if anything, if they really do call on guys, simply guys who are in AAA and not guys who are on the injured list, you can just give the space to. Um, so I don't know, right? It's 28. That's that's what the capacity is now. Yeah, you get two two guys. Yeah. I don't I mean, maybe Nagosek comes off the injured list. Maybe Medina comes up. Those are sort of the only two options you have left. In my eyes, I don't think Connor Gray is an option. I don't think Yohan Lopez is an option. Um and on the offensive side, too, it's like, I don't really think they're going to send Beatty down at this point. Um, yeah, I think I think Beatty's insurance right now. Yeah, he probably is. I mean, they didn't cut him for uh, Escobar. Or they did an option for Escobar. And he's hitting the ball yeah. well again. He's just hitting an outs. Oh, he's hitting everything hard. He's just yeah. hitting it on the ground a lot. And he had, you know, his average is slowly ticking up. He's getting his base hits. You know, he had three hits in the four games against the Rockies and in three starts, um, but he's yet to have a multi-hit game as a big leaguer, and that's kind of the next step of, is him, you know, putting success together um, more than just finding a knock here or there. He's got the two home runs. Like, he hit the home run off of uh, uh, Chad Cool, which was right. – was, was, that was neat. That was cool, some would, some would say. Um but he's, I think he's insurance because I don't think, I think they're finally getting their wits about them with Eduardo Escobar and that he probably just isn't good anymore and, and isn't good enough, period, to face right-handed pitching. But if he's a platoon partner for Beatty, um, I know that when he, with the injury on the oblique, the pain was when he would swing from the right side. Um, so you really want to make sure he's healthy. Yeah. 
before you can call him a short side platoon partner for Beatty at third base. But if Beatty continues to hit the ball hard and finds some gaps and starts raising that average and becoming more of a productive part of this lineup every day, his defense, I think the fact that we haven't complained about his defense really since we complained about his defense, um, I think that means he's settling in on the defensive side. And I I think that's pretty clear by watching the last few games he's played in. Like he does look a lot more calm over there. He hasn't really misplayed anything in a, in a, in a minute. Um, And if the offense picks up and Brett Beatty becomes a contributor um, against right-handed pitching, then maybe you do have a bit of a platoon there, but if he continues to struggle and so does Daniel Vogelback, then the only reason to keep him up would be in case Vogelback is hurt. Like we suggested earlier that his hamstring is not quite right. um, And that he's that extra left-handed slugger on this roster um, to make up for a potential Vogelback sized hole. I don't think anyone could fill a Vogelback sized hole, not one person at least, but um, I meant literally in that case. Uh, I know. know. (laughs) um, But you know, you want to have some left-handed power on your roster, and if Vogelback is hurt, um, Beatty can supply that. So that's what I'm trying to say is that he's insurance on this roster, I think, right now. is yeah. Either they really like the the hard contact and they believe that the hits are going to start coming, or they really just are afraid um, of Vogelback's hamstring. You know, it is kind of ridiculous that, like, on the brave side of this, like, Michael Harris gets called up and has a ridiculously high ground ball rate, and, like, he gets to bat, like, 308 or whatever he's batting right now but when Brett Beatty does it like everyone's just like you know hello human resources like he's batting like 150 or whatever I think it's I I think like it's the hits are gonna come if he starts to get a little bit more lift on the ball um I mean that's just the big question but you know they they managed to make it work for Jeff McNeil like that was a little bit of a worry about him when he first came up and obviously these are very different pedigrees that we're dealing with but like McNeil's whole thing is like, is he just going to be a singles hitter all the time? Like, can he stop slapping the ball everywhere? And like, eventually, like in 2019, he hit for a lot of power. Like they could potentially work similar results out of a much, I think, more projectable player in Beatty. Um, 22. Yeah. yeah, He's got a lot of growth to do as far as if it happens this year. I mean, that's the big thing. We talked about development, taking a backseat right now to winning a world series. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I think he has a pretty safe, secure spot on this roster. I think injuries are just going to sort of dictate who goes where. I mean, speaking of injuries, like Francisco Alvarez is not going to be appearing this year, I don't think. Um, he had an, He's an ankle problem right now. He might actually end up requiring surgery. Uh, they are very committed to James McCann and Tomas Nito. I don't think it's in the cards this year, which is a bummer, but also uh, they have so many hitters right now anyway that I don't really know who you uh, who you sit for him. I mean, in, in the case of catchers, you can't carry three catchers right now. You would need to cut someone. Um, not to say they shouldn't cut McCann. I think they should explore that if this continues for him. Um, Vientos, I think, is interesting because, like you mentioned with Escobar, I mean, really, I think it's a similar thing as with Vogelback. Like, if Escobar can't hit right now against left-handed pitching because it still hurts, I mean, really, he should probably be on the injured list. And that's not to say that Mark Vientos is going to do his job admirably and and as well as he has, but he's been hot for a while in AAA. 
he is your best option uh, to do the Escobar job. Although you can't really play him at third base, which is a, a problem. But then again, like, are you really going to sit him? And, and, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it, I Vientos just can't play defense. And the, I, I, there's been a lot of talk about that. The, the, Swinging miss, you know, this, the uh, the strikeout percentage is still too high. The ground ball percentage is still too high. I just don't buy him as an impact bat right now. I, I don't know. Maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but I think now's a good time to pivot over to uh, chat about the experience of old-timers day because that's a big part of this week. Let's chat about that. Yeah. So I had, like, I had the honor of uh, of being there on Saturday for the for old timers day. I went with my dad, which was really cool cuz he's been a he's been a fan since since the 60s and um it was I think so well done. I don't, I don't know how obviously you you had like people had a different experience watching it on TV than being at the ballpark. They did interviews and stuff that I didn't get to see, but like at the ballpark, I had so much fun with old timers day. Yeah. And that's not even getting into the Willie Mays stuff, which we should definitely talk about because that's been a topic of conversation since it happened, um, which I think is kind of ridiculous. But um, I think there are, there are different topics of conversation. I, I I don't get it with Mets fans, man. Do you want to start with Willie Mays or David Wright? Like, or oh do my we, god! I mean, let's actually well taking it back for a second because uh, this was a great day. It was uh, just so great to see. I mean, it looked like a packed house. It looked like... Oh, it was. It looked like there were like 100,000 people there. It did not just look like a baseball game. It let, me, like let, me paint, let me paint yeah. a word picture for you, okay? So they, they put out a little blurb that says uh, gates open at 3.30. Yeah. Um, and the game itself, and it, like the introductions are going to start at 4.30. So we, my dad and I are like, okay... My dad wants to leave earlier. He's like, it's going to be packed. I'm like, it'll be, you know, busy, but I don't think it'll be like packed. I feel like it usually takes us about 50 minutes to get to the ballpark. If we leave at 2.30, you know, we should be fine. And he's like, how about we leave at 2.15? I'm like, okay, we can leave at 2.15. Um, we leave at 2.15. Um, it takes us about an hour to get there. And then once we get there, the lines to get into the ballpark parking wise just parking um are massive yeah very busy getting into the ballpark and then i'm look i look over at the stadium while we're parking and being ushered in and the lots are already full like the lots are very very packed uh my dad and i usually like to park as close to an exit as possible so we can just get out um after a game did not have that luxury today um because the lots were so full already when we got there at like 315 when gates didn't open until 330. Yeah. I look over at the ballpark and there is just a massive crowd of fans standing outside the park. Like this is a it looked like the floor of a concert venue. Yeah. Like just a crowd of people shoulder to shoulder um waiting to get into this stadium. So we park and then we make our way and try to find a line. And these lines are like going all the way down the sidewalk of the stadium. They're like going all the way down from, um, you know, the home plate entrance down towards the Stangle entrance and down towards the left field corner entrance. Like 
these lines are going so far down yeah that that you can't even figure out where they start and that's that's sort of a tribute to Shea Stadium in a way I don't know if you've if you ever end up going to a game at Shea Stadium but like the the actual like procession of people that would go up that ramp to get to games was just or when people would even get off the trains and walk in droves to the park it was that's it's it reminds me the way that you're talking about this it reminds me a lot of that it um, was just it was so crowded yeah um and the lines actually moved fairly quickly uh-huh. getting into the ballpark thankfully so we were in the ballpark at like four o'clock yeah. um which felt like a miracle but we were in our seats with plenty of time to spare before they started doing the introductions at four 30. So good job city field, making sure that people were able to do that and get in their seats. Um, I think maybe next year, an extra half hour buffer with the gates open would have been, would be a good, uh, a good thing to have Mets if you're listening. Um, but then the old timers days have started and Howie is always great as the MC. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that they kind of started with people that maybe were not as well known. Um, they obviously started with the old old guys because they had to get them seated on those benches that they had set up because you couldn't really stand out there. Yeah. But um, after that, then they started with guys you you might not be as familiar with, and then they went to guys you know and you like, maybe some fan favorites in there. And then they finished with the guys from the championship teams, yeah. which I thought was a really nice touch doing the championship guys together mm-hmm. um, with their teammates. Um, and then they did Piazza at the very end. Piazza was the last guy they announced, which was cool um, as the kind of requisite last living Hall of Famer with a Mets cap on his plaque in the Hall of Fame. Um, which I thought was really nice. And then then there was the main stuff. Um, I don't know how it was on TV. The introductions were like 40 minutes long. Um, but I enjoyed them. I was clapping nonstop. It was great. I thought it was all really touching. Uh, I thought the Maze tribute, I actually, and I, I, I don't think I'll ever really forgive myself for this being the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but when I found out that they were retiring you know Willie Mays's number my first thought was really like he didn't really do much as a Met which like is just a stupid basis to even think about this retirement um and apparently a lot of people feel that way too but like no it's stupid to think about it that way this was about a promise that Joan Payson made to him um it's about honoring baseball in New York he is easily the best baseball player to ever wear a Mets uniform. Um, even if the question is like, was he the best as a Met? Like that's probably Tom Seaver, but like the best, particularly the best player in New York sports, in New York baseball history to put on that uniform. Um, and they had a lot of guys for moments who did it. You know, Yogi Berra wore a Met uniform. Uh, Duke Snyder wore a Met uniform. Um, but the way that, they brought Willie Mays back in in the 70s um, was in itself, I think, a very uh, tender sort of extension to the fan base, to the fans who had grown up Giants fans and Dodgers fans. Um, 
And I think that really like also the, the fact that very few people had even worn 24 since May's was also kind of conducive to this. I think it was a perfect, I thought it was a perfect tribute. I liked that it was a surprise. I think some people who I talked about it were like, well, why wouldn't Mays come there? But like, Willie Mays is like 91 years old. I think they did this with that in mind. They that said they said something to the effect of he recently had, I think, hip surgery and wasn't really yeah. in a position to travel. I, I'll tell you my thought process as it was happening. Yeah. Um, so they do the introductions of all the players. They do Piazza to finish. And then how he sends the attention of the crowd off to the video board and they're doing this video and like he says it's a special message or a special video and i'm like my first thought is like oh this is going to be like a video message from someone who like couldn't make it or wasn't there playing like david wright saying oh yeah like hey guys have a great time wish i could be there let's go mets or something like that um so that was my first thought and then i'm like as the video starts playing i'm like huh oh this video is about willie mays that's interesting yeah. maybe, maybe he recorded a special message or something just like a, a quick little nod to his time as a met that would be cool and then i look on the field and there's like three or four guys um who are standing around a big circular object with a tarp yep. on top of it and i'm like oh my god they're retiring his number yeah um and i and i had the same thought initially i had the same thought initially that was like that's really interesting i don't exactly know why they would do that right I, and then they come back from the video and they announce that they're retiring his number and how he tells this story yeah. of the promise that Joan Payson, the first owner in Mets history gave to Willie Mays that she intended to bring him back to the Mets, which she did to honor his history in New York baseball and honor his accomplishments in New York city as a baseball player and what he did for the city of yeah. New York on the baseball field uh, and wanted to honor him by eventually retiring his number and then Joan Payson died and the team changed hands and nobody ever did anything with this promise. And so Steve Cohen wants to fulfill that promise. And that's why he's doing this. Um, he's doing this to honor Willie Mays, to honor Willie Mays's career in New York as an icon in this sport and to honor everything that he did for not just the, the giants while they were here, but for the Mets, for young black baseball players for yeah. whoever got a chance to watch this incredible talent one of the top five best players in the sports history yeah. um and it's completely irrelevant what he did in a Mets uniform because of the sometimes it's okay to just honor people based on things off the field yeah sometimes that's okay yeah Gil Hodges and Casey Stengel both have their numbers retired Gil Hodges won one ring as Mets manager L like, plus ratio plus you only won one ring. Yeah. yeah. Like every single manager across baseball who wins a championship ring is not getting their number retired. Yeah. We're honoring Gil Hodges for turning the franchise around and bringing legitimacy as a coach. Casey Stengel. I don't even know how much under 500 he was as Mets manager, 
but what he he was the first manager in team history. They're honoring him for the what he did coming to this team. Um, and kind of he created the Mets identity those first few years. He was the Mets identity those first few years. Um, so you're you're not honoring the the results on the field. So like that's that's my whole spiel about it is that sometimes it's okay to separate some of the on-field stuff from the off-the-field stuff if the off-the-field stuff carries more weight when it comes to honoring that player. And that's what we're doing with Willie Mays. I have no problem with this. And some of the takes have just been really bad. Yeah. People are – people. I mean, we're Mets fans. Like, Mets fans kind of, like, I think just through all the torture and torment, are some of them are bound to just come out kind of, like, cynical about everything. Um, I am trying to account for that in this entire weekend because it's made me think a lot about like the identity of Met fandom um, and this day was incredible because it was I think the first time that that many fans old and young were united like that in a celebration of everybody that's put on that uniform like to actually see Dwight Gooden in a Mets uniform at his age is something that I don't think anyone would have expected 10 years ago 20 years ago you know what I mean like because this ownership group the prior ownership groups were never shy to just turn away their best players and to turn away the people that the fans love the most um but I also think to briefly go back to the Willie Mays point and Thomas Henderson um wrote a really great piece for Amazing Avenue about this so I'm not going to really steal his thunder I was going to mention Thomas's piece that's a good piece. piece Um, I think that Willie Mays' whole thing as a New York Giant is still crucial to the identity of Mets fans, whether we want to. And I know that like the Wilpons made honoring the old New York baseball teams uncool because they turned City Field into Ebbets Field and like cared more about the Dodgers than the Mets. Like I get it. Right. But ultimately, what I think has always been true and never will not be true is that we are all like most of us, I think I am with my family, the way I became a Mets fan is my dad became a Mets fan because his parents were Brooklyn Dodgers fans and their team left. Their team got up, moved to California and left them with a really crummy expansion team. And that's how their life as a baseball fan changed. Every Mets fan has some connection to a fan of the Giants or the Dodgers. Um, even if I don't have a connection to Willie Mays, even if my dad or your dad doesn't really have that kind of connection to Willie Mays, because by the time he was a Met, he was like 45 and it was a farewell tour. Um, but like, he's important to Met fans for very important reasons. Um, and if this team decided someday, and they never will, obviously, and a day like yesterday cements that they never will, but like, if they got up and moved to, you know, uh, you know, like Montreal, right? And and left behind some really awful expansion team. And I had to start all over again. I would never like ignore what David Wright did for 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 my experience as a fan. You know what I mean? It's like it's a similar thing where Willie Mays was arguably one of the best players ever to play the game. And um even if his time with a Met isn't the focal point, like his time in New York baseball needs to be honored in some way because it's inextricably linked to our experience as New York baseball fans. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. 
Uh, it has very little to do with like on-field anything. It's about something sentimental. I think the entire day captured that really well. I think for me, I don't know, Sam, if you had like a breaking point, like where you got chills. Um, Cause I think this was like, especially emotional for fans who have waited a really, really long time for something like this. And, you know, have never seen like, you know, Joe Torre in a Met uniform, right? Like stuff like that, like I'm sure was very strong for them. But when I saw Pedro Martinez coming back out in a Met uniform um, and he's like high-fiving and shaking hands with like, you know, first it's Willie Randolph, but then it's like David Cohn and then it's like Ed Cranepool and then it's like Frank Thomas. And I, you know, and I'm just like, it really, really hit me. Like, this is just something that like we all share. Um, and it also obviously makes you think about how much time has passed, um, like how oh old you've gotten, you know what I mean? But aside yeah. from that, it's like, this is just an enduring experience. And finally, someone said something and did something about it. Finally, our owners did something like this. I hope that every team does something like this. There's no reason not to. It's so important to honor your own players and in, in turn, honor your own fans. Like that's what this was. It was a love affair between the players and the fans. Um, I yeah. know I'm going next year. I, I know that it's not going to be like what this was because the turnout was just ridiculous, but like, I can't wait. Like I, I, I it was can't so cool. These guys again, it was so cool. I think that, you know, Ray Knight, I think summed it up really, really well. Yeah. He summed it up with two sentences after the game, after, after the old timers day, when a lot of the older players were doing, um, you know, some post-game media or whatever for yeah. the experience. And Ray Knight was asked about how, you know, he doesn't really have a connection to the Mets anymore. And it's been 30 some odd years since he played for this team. And his closest association after his playing days are with the nationals, you know, like he's done a lot of, he was a studio host and an analyst for nationals games. And, um, you know, he was there, Todd Zeal or whatever for a very yeah. long time. Uh, and, he just had to say this, what he, what he said about it. He goes, I love the New York Mets. I hated the Wilpons. Yeah. Because, and I think that his experience was echoed by a lot of the guys that were there was that they loved playing for this franchise. They loved playing for these fans, but they had no relationship with the team because the team hadn't reached out to them or the team had made no effort to honor them or what have you um, since they left the organization. Um, and that I think was what got me about yesterday was that it was so, it was so unbelievably special because you could see how much this meant to so many of these guys, the guys that played some of their best years here, but didn't play for very long mm-hmm. um, to see them in Mets colors. Like, like Pedro is a good example. Like people don't associate Pedro Martinez with the Mets, but he's still, spent a decent chunk of his career here he was still on a winning team here um yes he was injury plagued but like he still had good starts and productive moments as a member of this team um so to see him in Mets colors was really cool again to see Billy Wagner in Mets colors again was very cool because he's another guy who you know he spent kind of the last third of his career here and people associate him more with the Astros and the Phillies but he was he was an all-star twice as a Met. Like he was really good as a Met for a period of time. And seeing him in blue and orange was really cool um, to see again. David Cohn, 
Al Leiter, both guys who are more affiliated in fans' minds uh, as with the Yankees than they are with the Mets because of their uh, what they do with the Yes Network, being analysts for Yankee games, seeing them back in Mets colors, being honored by the really the place where they they uh, became legitimate aces. Robin um, Ventura too. Rob Ventura spent three very productive seasons here, and people nowadays are like, "Oh yeah, that guy was a terrible manager with the White Sox." But here he is again, where he where he had his biggest, most famous moment on a baseball field yeah. um, with Mets. Like that was it was so cool to see all of that, and even to see like a couple of the recent guys. Like, I, I it was really cool to see Daniel Murphy in a Mets uniform again, mm-hmm. and I think that was part of it that really I was like, oh god, I'm getting older. I know I'm yeah. 22, but like I was like, geez, Daniel Murphy's doing old timers day because 2015 still feels like it was yesterday. Um, but to see like, you know, he, he, I haven't seen him do anything Mets related in a while, uh, yeah. because he was a national and then he was a uh, Rocky and a cub and what have you. Yeah. Um, but to see him back with a place where he spent like eight major league seasons and had his shining moments, um, in that 2015 playoff, I think was really cool. So it was just, it really gives perspective to just how bad the will ponds were mm-hmm. that Steve Cohen could fix so much in such a short period of time um, for this fan base. It means the world that the Mets are owned by a Mets fan. Like it's just, it really is. I think that's what potentially separates our experience with this team from a lot of other fan bases experiences. Um, look, he's, he's a businessman. He has made a lot of money. Um, some of my college friends would say the guy has blood on his hands, right? Uh, he owns a business, uh, like, but, you know, Bob Nutting also owns a business, you know, uh, Artie Marino owned a business and like some of these guys just do it to make money. Uh, some of them do it like, because they have money and they can Cohen is someone who does it because he has money and he can, and he's wanted to do it. He's wanted to like actually have a hand in how his favorite baseball team does things how they relate with their fans, how they look on the field. Um, I mean, it's not that, you know, this was a much bigger event than Steve Cohen, but obviously you have to give him credit for like what he's done. Um, Like this was a really, really special day. And um, I think that obviously the unveiling of the Seaver statue before it was also, uh, you know, earlier in the year, that was very special. Keith Hernandez day was special. Um, just a lot of moments both on and off the field that I think regardless of what happens to the Mets at the end of the season, uh, whether they, you know, win the world series or go out in like the, you know, the wild card round or whatever, like this is going to be a, a season that a lot of people remember. And I think something like this is just, it's going to go a very long way. It's really neat. It's really, really neat because I mean, the Will Ponds is, it's not like they didn't honor history, but they only did it if it had to do with a championship team and it was on an anniversary. That was like it. Or if they were Hall of Famers. Yeah. With the exception uh, being if they were Brooklyn Dodgers or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was so arbitrary. Uh, and, like, I yeah, they those guys were not Mets fans. Like, I hate to, I hate to you know, be accusatory about it, but, like, they weren't. Um, to your point about seeing the more recent guys, like, obviously that was a, I'm getting old thing. Um, I thought it was honestly with everything that had happened, 
Um, this is not to say that David Wright shouldn't show up next year. I would love to see him. Uh, I'm a little bit relieved in a sense that we had a day where we could honor other people. Um, and I say that with no disrespect to Wright, uh, because obviously there's going to come a point in the very near future where they're retiring his number. But like I was at his last game, uh, he got a, a, a really, really like significant farewell tour and obviously a very deserved one. Um, but I know because I know Met fans and I know how many of the people at this game were probably like also our age, like this was going to end up being like David Wright day if David Wright had been there yeah. uh, to some extent. And I think it was probably for the better that we just had this moment to look at like, uh, you know, guys who had spent basically 20 to 30 years waiting for their day to be honored and finally got it. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I, I, and I also just think it's good that he's spending his time with his family and he's not like doing everything to cater to Met fans because he's done so much already like I just I don't know that's its own thing but I'm yeah. really glad that they made this made a focal point of like you know obviously old timers the game it's like you have to put people on there that can actually play the field so like you get the 2000 to 2006 guys and you get a you know you get a couple of the the, the mid 2010s guys but not the really really good ones right like no Cespedes um and no you know like well Cespedes was originally supposed to yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, maybe. But yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, I do know what you mean. I mean, yeah. I was a little worried that like I was a little worried that it would be kind of the Jose Reyes show while he That's was true, out there, yeah. because like, I mean, we've made our opinions on Jose Reyes pretty clear on this podcast before. We appreciate what he did in the uniform. But at the same time, um, it's very easy not to throw your wife through a sliding glass door. And um, it's also very easy to not put that guy in the spotlight um and and not re-sign him i mean the Wilpon mets did that but would have preferred if he you know he didn't need to be there it's whatever it's it's you know this is not a talk about cancel culture or whatever he did do that yeah, thing yeah. we know that he beat his wife to to quote that off quoted um uh internet video um, Don yeah, yeah, the Don, Don LaGreca video, which is fantastic. Like that was like the one little stain on the day. We don't have to harp on it too much, but yeah. um, what was cool to me was that he got a fairly big ovation. And then immediately after him was Pedro and Pedro got an uproarious ovation. That I did not see, but I need to get, I need to check that out. I love the Pedro got his moment, dude. I, yeah. I honestly, I, yeah, the Pedro thing is actually so interesting to me just because like, you mentioned that he had injuries throughout his career as a Met, but like he always, I think, got the respect from fans that he deserved because he always wanted to try. And that quote uh, about him wanting DeGrom and Scherzer to, to do what he never could do, I think it's like, like the guy really, really, I think, took it personally that he never won a World Series as a Met, that he could never like get them to that point because he was a very good pitcher and, you know, had a, had a, I think, very high opinion of himself and held himself to a high standard. And like, yeah, he I know. mean, like you're looking at a guy in Pedro Martinez who like obviously he won his World Series with the Red Sox and had his moment in the in this, you know, in the moment of glory, whatever. Um, yeah. But like he chose the Mets when he had his first time uh, being able to like really choose where he wanted to play. Like he was traded from the Expos to the Red Sox, you know, like 
that's not a decision he made to yeah. go play for that team and try to bring them a championship. So when he was tasked with this decision in free agency, he was like, yeah, I want to bring a championship to New York. I want to do that. I want to, I want to show that I can win in the greatest city in the world. Yeah. I already broke one drought and now I'm going to go win in New York. And it didn't turn out that way. He came close, you know, the 06 Mets came awfully close, but um, that, that was also really cool to see what he said to uh, DeGrom and Scherzer about, you know, telling them to finish, finish this for him. Um, I think uh, I was really impressed by some of the, the guys who, who played and played well in this game. Like, Andy Chavez still moves like a big league center fielder, which is That's, sick. Yeah. Was so cool. Cause he was he he was catching everything. He was a vacuum. Mookie yeah. for a guy in his 60s, Mookie can can still track him down. Mm-hmm. And he was in lasers too. And some of these guys, Cliff Floyd hit the tar out of a baseball at one point. Like yeah. um, Tim Tuffle hit like a line drive to center field. Like these guys, it's really impressive to see that even after all this time for some of these guys, um, that kind of bat on ball muscle memory doesn't go anywhere. He has to put one over during batting practice. Yeah. These guys can still find that these guys can be 60 years old and they're still finding yeah. barrels. Even a, a 79 year old pitched in this game. Yeah. Steve Dillon. That was so cool. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. I like that. Like, yeah, they also extended it to guys like Steve Dillon and, and like Kevin Elster and Josh Tolley, right? Like, that was such a fun pull. I'm like, I don't know. I like that. I think they've picked a good cast. You know, as soon as you do something like this once, a lot of people are going to want to join the next time. Like this is just, they've set off this chain reaction, I think too, where like they will always be able to pay homage now to people that want to be there. Like hopefully like next year we get to see Carlos Beltran. I think that would be really, really cool also. I think, I think we should hold, I want to hold on to this because Uh, I think inst- we haven't talked about this and I wanted to bring this up, but instead of remembering guys, I think we should talk about guys we want to see next year. Yeah. I think that, yeah. That's a move. I, if you're in favor, I've got mm-hmm. some names in the chamber. Yeah. And we don't have to move on to it yet, but I think it might also, it might be a good, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think. A, yeah, we can do it. Honestly, Let's move on to it. John so, Olerud, that's who I want to see. I really, really want him to get the ro- the ovation that Pedro got as someone who like, didn't win a World Series, clearly tried his best, had a very successful career, uh, and always took it upon himself to, like, get better. Um, I think Olerud gets the next, like, Pedro-style reception next year. I think that would be great because yeah. he was so important to that team in 1999. And that team in itself, I think, doesn't get enough respect because it didn't win a pennant, even though they were better than the 2000 team. You know what I mean? Like, they were miles more talented. Um, but – yeah, that's I, – I would like to see John Olerud. I got a couple people. We could just spitfire him even. Oh, like, yeah. I think we, we – um, you mentioned Beltron. Beltron would be really cool. Um, I think Carlos Delgado would be really yeah. cool because he's just, like, the coolest dude, you know. Like, he he looks like he's still in great shape. Um, he's still – that little goatee – he's got the same goatee – um he's he's a very cool dude and i think he could still put one over the right center field wall i think he'd be really nice to see um as one of those mainstays of that 06 team um kind of i don't know the i I think that a pitcher that i really want to see and this was i mean they brought in josh Tolley. like where's yoan at 
Like we got to get Johan here. Yeah. I think they've got to have something planned for that at some point. I don't know. I think it could have been, well, they honored Johan um, for the 10 year anniversary of the no hitter. I think. Yeah. They? Yes. yeah. Maybe it was, he should have, they should have, maybe they did invite him and he was just kind of like, I had my event, you know what I mean? Like, but he should come back for sure. I'd also like to see Sean Green just for personal reasons. That's like another guy who I think. Which Sean Green? No, no, not not the not the 2009 Sean Green. The, the didn't outfielder. play on Yom Kippur Sean Green. The outfielder, yeah. Yeah, the outfielder Sean Green. I loved him. I thought he was really cool. Um, That'd be cool. I don't need Paul Laduca though. Do not. Well, no, Paul Laduca. I think is blacklisted from a lot of things anyway. Yeah, um, like I think there's a certain couple of guys who just aren't going to get invited to this kind of thing and i think laduka might be on that list lenny dykstra is certainly on that list yeah i mean you can't have people there who are going to try and fight other people who are there i was surprised a little bit that wally backman was there i was too but like i feel like he's sort of within the circle of respect amongst baseball players because like you can't really hate a player for just being a red ass you know what i mean and that's really what was most annoying about like Obviously, he had the domestic violence thing. Players clearly don't care about that. Like, I think that's just sort of an established thing. Like, guys support their teammates, and it sucks, but, like, it's whatever. It, it's just kind of like what they do, and we kind of have to just, you know, acknowledge it and, and go on. But, like, Backman, I think, was, like, very respected by his teammates when he was there. But Dykstra really, like, kind of ratted on people and generally got under people's skin. Like, I don't think he would be invited I don't Backman, think Backman also is kind of one of those uh, types who was like, he was so jerked around by the Wilpons. Yeah. Um, like he managed the triple A team for a while and he always was trying to get that, you know, big league managerial spot and the Wilpons never gave it to him. And now that it's different ownership and he's probably really excited to be back with the Mets in some capacity because he probably yeah. just hates the Wilpons. No, that's true. I don't think that – I don't know if – I don't think Bobby Bonilla would be blacklisted per se because, like, they did the event last year with him, which I thought was a very funny event. Do you remember the sweepstakes they did where, like, one lucky fan would get to basically hang out in, like, a skybox suite and, like, sleep over for the night and, like, Bobby Bonilla was going to, like, bring them dinner and stuff? Um, do you remember that? Yeah. Like, I think that they're sort of doing the right thing and, like, sort of, like, owning the bit um i don't think he'd be blacklisted uh i don't know what his relationship with the other players was like because there was that whole card game scandal in like the 90s where like it was 99 when like the team was getting yeah because they were getting eliminated from the playoffs like they were basically about to lose and he was in the the locker room playing cards with like ricky henderson you just yeah we got to get ricky here you just put that in my head too i i need ricky at one of these yeah i think that would be fun um you know he would try and like steal the show because that's just his whole thing like he, and i need to see so eccentric it. i i think i need to see it too it, it absolutely could not ruin the whole thing um i'm trying to think of like more pitchers uh the pitchers it's weird because there's so many good ones and they got a lot of the good ones here for this you know who i want to see i want to see john matlack he, he was there oh he was there he was see, there I, yeah okay that's I there's so many of them that like you can't there's a lot it. I mean it was cool that Ronnie was there and Sid was there and Orozco was there they got a good chunk of they got Roger McDowell played the field like oh uh, yeah and batted they got a bunch of the 86 guys there the pitchers from that staff 
Um, they got a lot of the 99 and 2000s pitchers too. Um, I think, you know who I want to see? I want to see Mike Cameron. Yeah, that he, would be I fun. feel like Mike Cameron could still go out and get him. You know? Yeah. yeah. He probably like, put him in put him in a yeah, just like I, just yeah. keep him and Beltron out of the same outfield. Yeah, yeah. Don't put them together. That's what I was going for there. Um, I don't remember who was in center and who was in right, but I think that would be that would be like pretty fun. I think it would be kind of funny if Jeff Franco were there. Just yeah, because- get more of the like mid two thousands guys, the like 2013, yeah. 2010 to twenty thirteen era Mets that we're constantly remembering here. I think he would be really good. Like you kind of need to, especially if you're doing like the Bonilla thing. And like, like if you're having Josh Tolley there, you know what I mean? Like you can, you can, you can have some flexibility, not to say that like Josh Tolley shouldn't have been invited or whatever. They, everybody should be invited, but like, you know, as far as who headlines it, um, get Corey Sullivan here. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Get both Sean greens, get the submariner in here. Yeah. You want to get Chad Bradford. Yes. Uh, He might actually get an ovation. uh, Just, Get Juan like, or Sanchez here, but make sure he drives himself. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure. Yeah. Definitely make sure he doesn't get in the cab. You know uh, what? You know, an interesting pitcher pull would be. And it's difficult because he's definitely still trying to play and was as soon as, you know, as recently as earlier this year. Oliver Perez. Yeah, I knew you were going with that. But I think, yeah, I think for a little while now, especially because of how long he's extended the career post Matt, like, I think most people are, are willing to forgive and forget with that. Like, I think that really like, it's just strange to continue hating a guy. Cause like he wasn't good as a matter or whatever. Um, like bring Jason Bay back, bring back players who like, you can actually like, just give some sort of like respect to, you know, like, I think that would just, that's, that's how I feel about it. Jason, um, that's a good call. Like guys who, by bringing them to old timers day, you can rehabilitate the relationship that they had with the fans a little bit. Yeah. Um, like what the Red Sox did with Bill Buckner. Yeah. After they like, won how many times has Jason Bay actually been able to hear a city field crowd cheer for him after his name was called? Like, I think that would be very, very cool. I agree with you on that regard. I think like he would, that would be cool. Benia in that same vein. Um, Oliver Perez too. Uh, I think I think there's a lot you can do in that regard. It'd be interesting. Get get like, yeah, I don't know. You have a lot of avenues to work with, Re- and a lot of different kinds of fans to like cater to here. Like this was this did a good job of catering to a lot of them, but maybe next year they'll cater to the extremely weird Sporkle quiz playing Met fans like myself who just want to see Lasting's Millage or something. You know? Oh my God, that's another great one. Oh, yeah. there's so many. I feel like. You know, I think it's so many guys there this year that it's like, oh, my God, who can they even find for next year to make it better or different? But, like, we just threw out, like, a dozen really interesting names that we'd like to see. So I think that would be great. I also think it's a great time to wrap up here on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. Uh, I think we talked about everything we need to talk about here in episode 93. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Levowitz. Be sure to maybe give us a follow on social media at the PGE pod on Twitter uh, and give us a shout out. If you like us, if you're listening to us, be sure to recommend us to the Mets fan in your life, because you know, it never hurts. Uh, And let us know if you guys appreciate us because you know, it touches our hearts just a little bit too. You know, the old timers like to get cheered for, but so did Jack and Sam. So um, 
Anyways, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. Mets and Dodgers this week kick off Tuesday, then Mets Nats. And we'll see if the Mets are still winning the division a week from today. Uh, this one's in the books here on the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. And Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Oh, 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 oh,